Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis XIV, and we're here for another B-Side episode. Before I get to that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps our little show get some extra eyes on it. So appreciate everybody that's been leaving reviews. Please follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram and DJ L-O-U-I-E X-I-V on both Instagram and Twitter. Check out the Spotify playlist for this and every episode in the show notes of this episode. I also post them on social media, so that's a good place to get them all. And please don't forget to join our new Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access, for bonus episodes. Most importantly, we're publishing at least one new bonus episode of the show per month. We've got episodes where we look at the newest music of the moment. There's episodes looking back on past albums that we love from our favorite pop stars like Taylor Swift's Reputation. There's some really of the moment pop coverage there. There's an episode about the Grammy nominations that came out a couple weeks ago and so much more. So Pop Pantheon All Access, you can get it at patreon.com slash pop pantheon or in the show notes of this episode or in our bios on social media so lots of ways to get involved in our new patreon and also that leads me to another important point which is that if you join at the icon tier you get guest list access for my queer pop party in la gorgeous gorgeous and that is happening this saturday december 3rd two days after this episode airs and if you are a patron this is my reminder to go on our patreon and shoot us a dm if you'd like to be on the list plus one at gorgeous gorgeous so hopefully i'll see some patrons there hopefully i'll see some non-patrons there if you aren't a patron you can just buy a ticket and the link for that will be in the show notes of this episode and also i will post on social and i want to start a little new tradition which is shouting out our five most recent patrons so i want to say hey to dylan g lawrence c taylor s steven s and carolyn s thank you so much for joining patreon we're so glad to have you there and a new episode's actually coming up very shortly and it's a really exciting one that i think people are going to be really interested in so join us at patreon.com poppantheon also, we have our merch. Our dad hat is available at a discount at poppantheonpod.com. So head over there if you want to get the dad hat for a little less than we had it up there for before. And we're still looking for voice notes to dispute any tier rankings from this year. So if there's any episodes this year where there was a tier ranking that you disagree with, again, this is from the year of our Lord 2022. And we're not looking at 2021 anymore. If there's a tier ranking that you feel like I got wrong, send us a voice note to poppantheonpod at gmail.com with your reasoning and we might play it on the episode. I'm going to be taking calls from people. Russ and I are going to be going through all the rankings and assessing what we feel like I got right, what I feel like I'd like to maybe shift around a little bit. So big wrap-up episode for the year on Pop Pantheon coming up, and we want to hear from you guys. So send us a voice note to poppantheonpod at gmail.com. And speaking of year-end wrap-ups, this is an episode where Hazel Sills from NPR and I are reflecting on the year in pop 2022. We have a wide-ranging discussion where we get into some of the trends from the year in terms of music, in terms of rollouts, in terms of major pop stars, in terms of niche legends. We talk about how music sounded this year, how music was released this year, what the pop stars were up to as a whole, what were some of the similarities between what they were all doing and the differences. And then we each share our top three albums of the year, our top five songs of the year, and some of the disappointments from the year. So it's a really fun conversation. Hazel's so brilliant and fun to talk to. So here is Pop Pantheon's Year in Pop 2022. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> okay, so I am here with editor at NPR Music, Hazel Sills. Hazel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. I am a big fan of your work, have been for a long time, and you know I've been courting you for a while, so I'm glad we finally <laughs> have the opportunity to, to chat. I'm so excited for the listeners to get to experience your brilliance on air. So we're here today to discuss the year in pop music 2022. <laughs> Jazz hands. Jazz hands. It's been a year. It's been an interesting year. It was it was really fun to get to go back and sort of reflect on it en masse. And there's been some fascinating elements that I think we're going to get into, like how albums happened this year. What were like some of the trends in pop music, songs and albums? What were major pop stars doing? What were niche pop stars doing? We're going to talk about our favorite music of the year. I guess the thing that is kind of like the headline for me, and I'll be interested to know what you think about this. I think you might be here with me is that I don't know if there's been a year that I can remember recently where one album which is Renaissance, like took over so much space in my life and listening and like consumed me. It's like, as I've gotten older, I find that that happens to me less and less with albums. Like when I was a teenager and I was in my early 20s, I feel like I would get into this thing with individual albums where it would be like all consuming to me. And that was kind of like the number one highlight of the year for me was that like that record like consumed my <laughs> life in a way that like I didn't know was still possible for me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, especially because I don't know, it's such a good feeling. Like I, I viscerally remember I downloaded a leak, police don't come to my house, Ditto. but like putting on that album, <laughs> putting on that album and just being like, I'm in, yeah. like I am hooked into this yeah. album as an experience. And it's not just because it's a Beyonce album it's because it is an album that is completely designed to be listened to as an album especially because like I don't know I just feel like in the last few years we just don't really get albums like that anymore we get songs and especially with TikTok we get fragments of songs yeah, that seem right. to dominate right. <laughs> dominate the ecosystem and yeah it was funny like in the days after listening to that album on repeat I remember I kept asking my friends like oh what's your favorite song what's your favorite song and so many times it would come up, oh, I don't have a favorite song. I just have like favorite moments. Like mm. I really love the moment on Move where she, her voice changes this way. Or I really right. love when the beat drops in this song. And like, I don't know, it's just such an incredible experience to just listen to an album and be like, I love this entire universe. Mm -hmm. And it's just a rare thing. I completely agree. And I continue to be bowing at Beyonce's feet for holding the flag for the album format for so long. And it's such an interesting conceit for a Black woman to be doing so because for so long, Black women pop artists have been sort of disrespected in that particular field. And yeah. I feel like Beyonce is almost like single-handedly, although I guess that's not fair because I, I actually was thinking when I was looking through both of our lists that we're going to get to in a second, this was a good year in some ways for the album format. I feel like in some ways, all of the albums that we've picked on our lists work as album conceits. Like they're mm -hmm. albums that hold together. There's something that's like sort of unifying them that makes you want to listen to them as a fully embodied idea. But I just feel like there's still nobody really that's doing it on 
her level and not just like making that feel tedious because that's the problem I think sometimes with the album format especially in our sort of attention deficit economy you can't just sort of like double down on having a serious idea for an album and like maybe it is cohesive maybe it is meant to be listened to as an album but maybe you still don't want to listen to it like the thrill and the sort of like tightrope act that Beyonce always walks so beautifully and I think does maybe the best she's ever done on this particular record and we'll get more into detail about all of that but like is be able to make something that you want to listen to as a full album and like that never feels boring or ponderous or whatever so I just felt so lucky to get back in touch with the part of myself that could be like taken over I guess that was like the number one thing of 2022 and when I was going back to like compile my list for this I was like there's a world in which like my five favorite songs of the year all on renaissance and like renaissance is my top three (laughs) albums of this year (laughs) like that was my that was my feeling when I was thinking about this yeah I think being taken over by the album too it's like it was such an incredible flex to be someone like Beyonce who has for the last decade, like she's stretched what an album can be so immensely, like completely changed what a music video is, basically kind of invented the quote music film quote, which every artist uses now, even Mm -hmm. though they're not making music films, they're just making long music videos, Taylor Swift. Um, Casey Musgraves. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Like Like, every every time another artist attempts to do it, I'm like, oh, this is why Beyonce, this is why Beyonce, is the best that she does. It's not only that she executes these ambitious projects, but that they're actually good seems not like a foregone conclusion for a lot of these girlies. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's like, if I just add credits at the end of my music video, it's a film. But then to put out Renaissance and there isn't a single music video and she is not here. I think about that lyric on Cuff It where she's like, I want to go missing. And I'm like, you're missing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which which is incredible because especially and we'll get into it i don't want to yeah, derail spoil. the conversation yeah, yeah. but like <laughs> like i'm thinking about like midnights which i didn't hate but i didn't love it yeah but like artists do so much these days like they have to promo the shit out of every single thing that they do they need to like do the deluxe edition and they need to do the remix album they need to do the music film they need to do a music video with everything they have to be on tiktok they have to like think of all this stuff and to just be like you know what i'm going to drop one incredible single at a normal time and then several months later drop an incredible album in a very classic way and that's it like that is just such a flex to me and really speaks to how good the music is, is that she could just do that. I completely agree. And I obviously have spent so much time. And again, like we're already like spoiling this, but I (laughs) I can't, it's, there's so much to say about it. I guess there's no way to avoid it, but it's such an interesting experience to not have watched her interface with any of this music. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good window into talking about sort of the broader trends we see in music that have maybe calcified or formed in 2022, because it is such a unique experience to not have any sort of concrete visual idea of like how Beyonce herself is interfacing with this music. Like that is so rare when you think about it. Like she's essentially never acknowledged these songs outside of like <laughs> changing her Instagram bio and like posting when the album dropped. Like I, we've never She's seen like, her. I did a thing. <laughs> we've never... <laughs> The ultimate I did a thing. Everybody's I did a thing can basically fall off a cliff. But yeah, it's like, it's been so unique. Unique. 
in the modern pop landscape. And it's making me think like, you know, for the majority of music and pop music history prior to MTV, that was how people consumed music. Like you got an album, you listened to it. You maybe never, ever saw the person do anything, never saw them perform, never saw them on TV. Like that was probably a really common experience. And it's something that like, as you mentioned, artists are largely busy doing the opposite, which is like, how much can we do? How much social media content? How can we like artificially get a TikTok meme rolling here? And it's such a restraint from her. Like I was thinking if she literally did the Cuff It challenge, that song would go to number one, but like she's yeah. not doing it. You know what I mean? Like she's she could, do she does it. She's <laughs> like her restraint is like part of her like Olympian pop stars. Like she's, that's part of it. As much as she's sort of like the Olympian we see in Homecoming who like is the best performer of all time. Like part of it is also her immense level of restraint. Like I'm just kind of like, how have you refrained this whole time while everybody is going crazy over this? thing and like I'm so curious if there is eventually visuals and like when they come like how that's gonna pay off like how sort of edging us for this long is going to pay off in ways that like only Machiavelli and Beyonce could have seen from the beginning and like we just have to like go along for her ride I guess so before we get into that because I want to talk more about Renaissance because <laughs> obviously there's more to say it's a thing it's yeah. a thing it's to me it's <laughs> the thing of 2020 yeah, for sure yeah what are some other sort of bigger trends and you know some Sometimes on the show, we separate artists out into a couple of different categories, and I'm, I wonder if that would be useful for this conversation, but I'm wondering either separately or if there's overlap that you see, what are some of the trends that you've seen in pop for both the mainstream big names, Beyonce, Taylor, Drake, etc., and then perhaps either how that relates to sort of like micro pop stars, i.e. Charlie, Tovlo, Muna, who we're going to talk about, whatever, maybe Rosalia. Mm -hmm. What have been sort of like some of the things that are connecting these albums and songs together for you? And rollouts, maybe. Yeah, rollouts is a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I feel like has connected a lot of releases to me this year, and I would be so curious to know if you agree or disagree, is that I feel like there have been a lot of artists in the big mainstream pop bracket and the kind of niche pop girl bracket who have really committed this year to making glossy, grandiose pop music. And I think Renaissance is a part of that where mm. I felt like I heard that album and I was like, okay, we are moving out a little bit because I don't think we've moved out of it entirely of like the Olivia's, the Billy's, sort of the Ariana Grande, the kind of, I mean, I love all of those girls, but that kind of muted, mm -hmm. it's not music meant for stadiums. Right. It's like pop music meant for your bedroom. Mm -hmm. And that's not a drag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's It's just a different kind of music. Post Lord, um, post Lana. Yeah, very post Lord, post Lana. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, I heard Renaissance, I heard the Rina Sawayama album, mm -hmm. I heard the Muna album, mm -hmm. even like Drake's Honestly Nevermind, which was like a dance music album. I was alone, I was alone in this world, and I needed people. I know my funeral gonna be lit, cause how I treated people, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna. There was kind of this like glossy, not super conceptual bent to a lot of them or it just mm. felt like this is music that's meant to make people have fun and mm -hmm. like dance and like experience it together and I think Charlie's Crash is a good example of that too where it's like she 
is super brainy sometimes about pop music and like she's very experimental but like for Crash this year she really wanted to make a very solid almost commercial pop album and she kind of did I mean it wasn't obviously like commercially mainstream because I don't know (laughs) if her music she got a number one debut in the UK yeah I mean that's that's (laughs) something (laughs) um but yeah just a lot of artists who I think were just like I want to make a capital P pop album Mm. you know you have someone like Rena who's like making music that sounds like Lady Gaga. Or like there are some songs on that Muna album that are huge. Like what I want just feels like a massive big confetti cannon mm-hmm. pop song. Mm-hmm. And I think Yeah, a banger. I think Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people making bangers. At the same time, though, I do feel like we haven't totally gotten away from like what I think of as being more chill pop. I mean, the Carly Rae Jepsen album is a good example of Mm -hmm. that, where that's kind of working against a lot of the like heightened synth pop that she's been making for the last few years. But I don't know. I think the combination of people like Charlie and Rena and Beyonce and... Muna, I just felt like there were a lot of pop artists who were really committing to like the dance floor and committing to like making music that could just be played as loudly as possible in an arena. I think you're dead on and I am very grateful on a personal level that we have reached this point. Again, not because I dislike all of that. And I think Mm -hmm. there was a massive counter movement to EDM. I think EDM from let's say like 2009 to 2013. I always think of like Ariana Grande's Break Free as like the off the wall of EDM. (laughs) You know, if off the wall was kind of like the end point of disco music, I feel like Break Free was one of the greatest iterations of EDM pop, but also kind of like the end point of EDM pop. Mm -hmm. And, And the fact that that came out in 2013 simultaneously to Pure Heroin doesn't miss me, but I think that there was such a glut of dance floor pop music. Like the way that the EDM movement as maybe kind of like the last moment of monocultural pop music. Mm. Like one of the last times that you had pop that felt like it had a real center and everybody was doing the same thing and like the same artists were able to really like saturate through pop culture like in this specific way. I felt like there was a massive backlash or sort of counter movement to that that really has defined the latter part of the 2010s and like again sucked everyone into it not in the same way that like everyone was making Calvin Harris songs in 2010 Mm -hmm. but like everyone had to approach pop music as almost like their own version of whatever like internal or sort of dour and dark felt to them like I think about everything from Reputation which is like a very maximalist pop album but also Mm -hmm. like seems to be trying to find a way to like insert Taylor into like the sort of sad pop girl lane through Folklore and Evermore, which are obviously incredibly internal, small albums. And I hadn't thought about this, but I do think when we were thinking about Renaissance when it first came out, I was always so struck by Beyonce's line on Partition where she says, radio says, speed it up, I just go slower in 2013. (laughs) And how she like very actively also kind of was like part of this movement away from EDM. You know, she didn't make any real concessions to that. Her commercial success during that period 
period was like the lowest it ever was. So it was quite notable and interesting to me to see Beyonce as a representative of everything you're talking about, take the opposite tact and go like, actually, I'm going to drive like directly at the dance floor and directly at club pop in a way that I never really have before. So I think you're totally right about that. And it couldn't have come at a better moment in culture more broadly because we needed that. I mean, can -hmm. you imagine us like coming out of the house vaccinated and like we didn't have these albums? You know what I mean? Like I do have to hand it to the people that figured that out because that is what we needed as pop consumers was like, we wanted to have fun this year. And thankfully there were artists that delivered that to us. So I totally, I agree with you. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And I wonder too, because as I was thinking about that, I was like, did Dua Lipa change everything? Yeah, I think think that's worthwhile. (laughs) I really do. I think that's a really worthwhile statement because that album did feel like counter-programming, both to, to to the trends we'd been talking about over the 2010s and to the pandemic starting. Like it was a moment of like dissonance in, pop music and in like what was happening to us when that album came out in April 2020. I mean, I will never forget. I feel like I didn't watch the live video of Dua Lipa. Like there was a video where she did like an Instagram live or something and And she and cried and she was like, I am releasing my album. And it was like just that feeling of like in in hindsight, it's like it wasn't that big of a deal. It was actually kind of a blessing. But like just her being in that moment of being like, I have to release this music in a moment where like people do not want it. Mm. But we did want it and we want it now. Now. I mean, maybe that's not why she was crying, but I don't know. No, Just- she, no, she, she was. I think she was because I think, and I think you could put Chromatica maybe in this. Definitely. Two, although like a much less influential album, but perhaps like another plot point in this trend. But I do think she was crying because in her mind, I think she saw herself, and this is why that album made her such a bigger pop star than she had been prior to that. She really like took the reins of like changing the course of like what the pop girlies were doing in this way. Like mm-hmm. I felt like she was staking her flag and going like, I'm moving us as a <laughs> pop music artist and listenership culture back to the dance floor. Like this is ready to happen. And as we know, this is how these things happen. They move, they come in cycles and like someone's got to be the person that like realizes that people are ready for a change. And I do think Dua Lipa was that. And I think in her mind, understandably, she was like, fuck the timing of this is, is ruining everything. But in yeah. reality, I think it only helped her. I think you're right to point that out as a big inflection point for this entire discussion. What about rollouts? Like, I think that's another question that I'm really curious about because I think we've been in this thing since again since Beyonce's self-titled thing with like massive superstars doing surprise drops and then everybody kind of doing surprise drops and now I'm like I'm not sure exactly where we are like I feel like we're in some sort of flux moment like illustrated no clearer than Beyonce releasing a lead single a month in advance of her album which feels like a radical shift for her how do you see that all playing out this year I don't know like when I was really thinking about this year I was like nobody knows what they're doing (laughs) like I just like I do think like how albums are rolled out has just completely imploded. And I think partly it's because a lot of things were held in the beginning of the pandemic and like labels were being really strategic about what they were releasing at a certain time because it was also like you had to factor in artists weren't going to have studio time to like make things in 2021. So things were being held or Mm -hmm. it wasn't sure what was happening or when Mm -hmm. tours were being booked. And now it's just like when I think about how things have been rolled out this year, it was like, yeah, you have Beyonce setting fire to what she has been doing for the last few years, which as you 
said, like set the standard for everyone. But then you have someone like Bad Bunny who was like, hey, I have a new album and just like dropped it yeah. with like barely any promo right. whatsoever and like right. no singles. And that worked. <laughs> that yeah, worked. it did work. Then Drake's exercise of that felt like it didn't work. You know what I mean? It didn't. Uh, I think for Drake, it was just like, it just seemed rushed. And also mm. the fact that we we got two albums from him this year just right. feels like... I look at a lot of artists this year and I see a lot of... Which is, again, why maybe Beyonce is, again, queen. But, like, a lack of self-editing. Mm. Releasing these really long albums right. and not putting a lot of thought into how, you know, they're rolled out. And I think Kendrick, I mean, not a pop star, but, like, Kendrick Lamar was someone who did his rollout pretty traditionally. Like, put out a single... I want the Like told us when the album was coming, put it out, you know, made a music video and things like that. But when I think about just like the way pop artists, as the big ones are releasing things, it just feels so... You have someone like Taylor Swift, who's almost doing too much. Just almost. way, way too... Posting a calendar yeah. for everyone. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> She is like the bachelorette who's like planning the bachelorette oh weekend God. for everyone and gives everyone <laughs> a schedule. And everyone's like, fuck. And everyone's like, okay, brunch at 11 a.m. Okay, buy the pool at 1 p.m. And you're like, oh my God, just give me a little more mystery. And then yeah. you have someone like Beyonce who's like, complete mystery right so it's just for me it's there's been a huge variation between how things get dropped and like i just don't know if it's ever been this chaotic like yeah. it just seems very chaotic to me i think that sounds exactly right to me and it seems like there's sort of a wild west feeling where it's like let's try anything and it and you really gotta <laughs> land on something that works for like exactly where you are in your career and what the piece of work is that's really the formula that like makes these things work because bad bunny like i'm thinking about this is like full imperial phase right now right like mm -hmm. bad bunny yes. is like the biggest artist on earth anything yeah. he does is gonna get that kind of he's like kind of where drake was in like 2013 or 14 right like he's yeah. more like there whereas like drake is a little bit post imperial phase right now and i think is flailing around a little bit for the first time in his career like again all is relative obviously drake is still a huge star with a lot of success but i think there's a feeling this year that like drake doesn't quite have the stranglehold on culture that like he once did and no i agree like i think there's something really interesting about like how all of them are sort of trying to play this in like really different ways like it feels like there are kind of like no rules but i think what's hard about it is that it can be very difficult in the current ecosystem to get attention like to hold yes. attention and i yes. think that's why i'm so so curious about what the rest of the renaissance rollout is going to be like like is that part of what she's doing here is like finding a way to extend the attention economy onto this project because it's like taylor it's like again there's nothing critical i could say about taylor's commercial acumen clearly everything she's done with this album has paid off in spades it's the biggest yeah. album for her career and the worst <clears throat> but um <laughs> 
but it's clearly working on some level. But I'll be interested to see like where we're at with Midnight's in two months. You know what I mean? Like, is she going to be able to sustain this level of interest? Maybe. I mean, she's also like someone that works outside. But I think about someone like Adele, for instance, like Adele, huge album that came out actually end of last year, but I think is just relevant to our conversation right now. Massive first single, as usual. Big first week, as we've come to expect from Adele. And then it's like, where has that album been? Like, so much attention on that album in that first couple of weeks. Like, everyone was writing about it. Every music podcast was talking about it. It As I said, did the numbers, but like, what happened after that? You know what I mean? Like, people want to move on really quickly. And I think because, as also you were saying, a lot of big stars held record. Like, this was a big, there was a flood, it felt like, of big stars waiting for people to be out of the house to release their albums so that they could Mm -hmm. tour, etc. Holding people's attention, there's more music than ever in every tier, in the top tier, in the niche tier, all over the place. So it's like, how do you hold people's attention? It's like, same with the Drake surprise release. And like, Kendrick is another, I'm glad you brought him up because this has by far felt like the least sort of saturating Kendrick album of the four. Like, it just felt like it came and went so fast. I don't feel like it got much attention. And same with Honestly, Nevermind. It was like the week that that came out, everybody was like, oh, Drake released a dance album. And then Renaissance came out like a week later and everybody completely forgot about that album. So it's like, how do these rollouts, I think that's what they're maybe attempting to solve here. And and Beyonce as a trendsetter will be interesting to follow because it's like, will she be able to like give Renaissance a second life by waiting six months and giving us some sort of visual component or whatever. That's one thing that I wonder if she's playing with as someone who does think about these things. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You're just up at night. Yeah. (laughs) Can't sleep. You're like, when are the visuals coming? Legit, legit. Like, I'm like, and I'm like, is it planned? Did something go wrong? Like, is this what she always, is this what she had always planned all along? Or like, did the videos get fucked up and she wished that they were, I don't know. Anyway, that was just one thing I was thinking about. Like, is she trying trying to figure out a way to extend the shelf life of these things because it's really hard. And like thinking about Dua Lipa, like Dua Lipa worked that album like it was Rhythm Nation 1814 in in 1989. Like she was, yeah. she released five singles. She worked that album for two years. Like artists don't do that anymore. And maybe there is a impetus to try to do that, to try to like make something that feels worth hanging on to and not so ephemeral. Yeah. I mean, something that I think about too with Renaissance and like the lack of visuals and also just like capturing attention is the idea of handing off promotion to the fans. And like, I think what I mean by that is like, yes, it's hard for artists to capture attention when they release an album, but then I'll have weeks or months where there's a single song that's dominating my TikTok feed, or where it's like Steve Lacey's Bad Habit, which Mm -hmm. is like kind of a pop song, kind of a rock song. I bite my tongue, it's a bad habit. I don't know. I was thinking about the lack of visuals with Renaissance and I was like, but I've seen so many videos right. made right. So with true. the music so of that album. And like, I don't know, a lot of that album felt to me like putting the spotlight on the listener or sort mm-hmm. of giving something to the listener, not just like, here is my invitation to the dance floor, but like a song like Break My Soul, which was like, people were mad at her for talking about working a nine to five. <laughs> and I was like, I hated that discourse. And I was like, it's not about Beyonce. You're right. so used to Beyonce. Beyonce making music about herself that you can't recognize when she's made a pop song for you. Mm. 
I don't think that was like intentional on her part. Like I'm gonna let people make TikToks with my music instead of putting out music videos. But just like, I think the way that people create attention around a song, it's not just artist driven anymore. Mm. The culture can pick up a song and make it into a hit in ways that are a little bit elusive to us still. And I think that's fun. I agree. I think that's a extremely important point here. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know why I want to bring up Made You Look by Megan Trainer, but that's like what's <laughs> on my mind right now when you say that. I'm like, oh my God, like that's what's dominating my TikTok. The people's right. princess, <laughs> Megan Trainer. <laughs> she of the dueling toilets. Um, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. She said that and that's her fault for putting that in my head. Like now every time I see her, that's like what I think about, unfortunately. Anyway, I think that's so true. And it brings up an interesting thing though with an artist like Beyonce, which is like, she's someone I want to see perform her song. You know, there's certain people with whom I'm kind of like, cool. Like, yeah, I'd love to watch people do TikTok dance. This Megan Trainer being a great example. Like, I don't <laughs> care to see Megan Trainer make a music video for that song. I'm not going to buy a ticket to see Megan Trainer perform in concert. But like, I have gotten a lot of joy watching people do the Made You Look TikTok dance. And that's like endeared <laughs> me to that song in a way that I probably like never would have before. So I think that that's really true. But then with someone like Beyonce, it creates this sticky thing where I'm like, but I also kind of want you to also like give us, yeah. <laughs> I want to see you perform Cuff It. <laughs> I really do. Like I'm, I'd be lying. Girls can have a little Beyonce performance <laughs> as, as a, a treat. treat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since we're like talking about it so much, let's just get into it. Let's, let's get into our list. And I think that will be a good way for us to get into some of this other stuff. So we each made a list of our top three albums of the year, our top five songs of the year. There's room for honorable mentions should we want to do them. I also want to talk about some of the disappointments of the year a little bit. Let's mm -hmm. start with our albums. Let's go one for one, but I let's start with Renaissance. Let's just get that done. We've already talked a lot about it, but our one overlapping album on our lists is Renaissance. I feel strongly, and I know that this whole like ranking thing gets stupid and like whatever, but it's like hard to stay away from it. I have come to feel like this is maybe my favorite Beyonce album mm. of all time. And you know, that's really hard because I'm a big fan of hers and I like a lot of it, but I am just utterly floored by the fact that she was able to pull off such a thoughtful album that is so yeah. incredibly fun. Has Beyonce ever made such a fun body of work? B-Day perhaps notwithstanding. Like every single moment of this album is a thrill. There is not one minute or one second that passes that hasn't been so thoroughly conceived of to keep you engaged and having a stupendous time listening to this music while never feeling like it's a sugar rush, fluffy, superficial waste of time, which is just like, how? You know what I mean? And for it to be an hour long and to still feel that way. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I, I'm trying to think of a collection of songs of hers that feels so uniformly strong. And I don't know that I can think of one. No, there's no skips. There's no sandcastles. No. Sorry to sandcastles fans. <laughs> yeah, it's just like this incredible continuous mix. Yeah. It's like what I was saying before about the idea of like my friends being like, I just think in moments, like I kind of think in moments too like mm -hmm. you know that moment where on move where she's like singing about me and her girlfriends yes. and like the song completely changes me and my girlfriends came out to play fireworks and champagne gentile lace they're like the beat drop on energy and like 
needing a prescription on cuff it yeah. like just so many just like gems and for as fun as it is it's also kind of nerdy for mm-hmm. the people who want to go there Very. like this is an album for people who love dance music like exactly. when i saw that honey dijon was on the credits beforehand i was like oh this is like real like she has done her research and that is really rewarding too where it's like not only is it so fun and fantastic to listen to and it's just like such a rich dense universe of producers and credits and like throwbacks to disco and ballroom culture it's like it's done so well it's done so masterfully well when a lot of people like drake have tried (laughs) (laughs) to make this kind of i mean he does have a song on it so (laughs) which is my personal favorite song on it interestingly enough but we'll get to that (laughs) sorry drake you did do a good job but like people who've tried to do disco tried to do house music and just haven't done it this beautifully you know when i heard that she was or when we sort of discerned she was making a dance album i was like oh okay beyonce making a 90s house album or beyonce nodding to disco it's so much richer than that ever could be i again i I think you're dead on about the moments it's like every single lyric everything is so incredibly well thought out without feeling ponderous in this way that's just like such a magical sort of fusion and i cannot get over so like when break my soul came out i was like disappointed i was kind of like this is same like i was just like this is so straightforward and like what's the spin on this like why are we just listening to beyonce make a lesser version of show me love like i don't need that and i was disappointed but in one of the things that i think illustrates the magic of renaissance is how hard that song hits in the track list and the first time i heard it in sequence i was like fireworks went off in my head and i was like genius like i was just like oh okay because it happens in this sequence of cuff it energy into that song and within this like 10 minute sort of sweet we get disco funk afrobeat 90s diva house bounce music the entire black diaspora of dance music history is like contained in this nine minute whoosh that doesn't feel like disjointed or overthought it flows perfectly seamlessly i mean that in and of itself that nine minutes in and of itself is like an utter masterclass that is also the most fun thing to listen to like who thinks of a masterclass and then is like what a fucking blast and then as you said <laughs> when I heard Miss Honey start playing at the end of Pure Honey, I was like, I cannot fucking believe. When I heard Cunty at the beginning, I was like, this, how does she know this? These like obscure gay club historical songs. Like I couldn't believe that she was sampling Kevin Aviance. It was just, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and the acknowledgement of, of the queer audience that has like been such a core part of her fan base for so long that she made an album that felt like it was at us in this direct way was like another element of this that I think has gone like underreported somehow. Like yeah. she made a fucking gay album. Like she finally <laughs> like handed us the acknowledgement. I, I said this on our episode about her when we did it. Her saying all the pretty boys to the floor was like this almost monumental moment in Beyonce's discography. Cause in a way, Beyonce's such a queer icon, but at the same time, she's kind of had cons- like a conservative streak to her, especially oh, the totally. early parts of her career. So to watch her make something so explicitly queer and gay also felt like a really almost like healing or solidifying moment between artist and fan base in this really moving way. So 
I, I could go on for 25 hours <laughs> we could discussing talk how much I love this album. It's like perfection. Like there's so many albums I love and I'm like, all right, but I could do without that song. You know what I mean? I could do without that, whatever. That's not like, here. I don't have that with this. I'm like, you put it on and you have to go through the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation? I mean, I feel like we've said so much. So much has been spilled about it, but I kind of almost like can't say enough about how much I respect and adore this record. No, I just, it is just unequivocally number one. Yeah. And I and it, I'm not someone who is like I don't kiss the feet of pop stars no, like I right. love pop music and I certainly yeah. don't with Beyonce like mm-hmm. she's not perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gonna End the zoom. Eyes. Bye. <laughs> um but this album is great. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just it's amazing and it feels good to say that and yeah, mean it. It does. She just delivered. It just we waited and <laughs> she fucking delivered like on every level. And as you said earlier in the conversation, this is so true. For this to have worked so well and taken over the conversation without anything else helping it, with a no music videos, no any. I mean, it's kind of says it all. So unequivocally number one for both of us, I think. What is your second album of the year? My second album of the year is. Muna mm-hmm. by the pop group Muna, mm-hmm. who was not super on my radar until this year. Mm-hmm. This is their first album with Phoebe Bridger's label, Satisfactory Records. Mm-hmm. And this is just the first time I heard this album, I was like, okay, cute pop music, great songs, mm-hmm. whatever. And then the more that I listened to it, the more it wormed its way into my brain. Yeah. And it is such an incredible collection of indie pop music that's like super confident. Like all the songs are about like being a young woman and like seizing the world and asking for what you want. And I just think it is like an incredible record and honestly really underrated. Like, I feel like more people should be in love with this record. I completely agree with you. It sort of like scratched the itch that Haim often scratches for me. Yes. And it's got the sort of big life affirming hooks that I come to that sort of pop music for. Like, Silk Chiffon is just heaven. Like, when you put that song on, you are just transported. And I think one of Katie's gifts as a songwriter is her Mm -hmm. sort of eye for detail. Like, the way that she discusses seeing her girlfriend in the CVS aisle. Or when she says, you know, got my mini skirt and my rollerblades on. or the And she's got the bag over her shoulder because she's going to be out till dawn. Like, she's a really evocative storyteller in that way. So these songs have that great kind of Taylor Swiftian mm-hmm. eye for detail while never losing their sort of broad poppy catchiness. And then you sort of pair that with her like unequivocally queer perspective on these things, the girl on girl pronouns, whatever. And you've got something that's like works really great as like a traditional great pure pop album and also something that feels vanguard and a little bit doing some important work in the space at the same time. Yeah, there's beautiful layers to it. And I just feel like a song like What I Want, which is just like wanting to go to a bar and Mm. like take a shot Mm -hmm. and like kiss someone on the dance floor that you have a crush on like it's such a simple song but felt so powerful to me this year in a year where like women's rights and Mm -hmm. queer rights were being eroded and criminalized at every point and I was just like it's an amazing pop record but like as you're right there's just you know heart to it and I just think it's a great album
I completely agree. I love what I want to. I know that's on your song list. I love that it sort of completely goes dance floor on that record yeah. and on a few others, like in a way that like I sometimes have wanted Haim to, like in the way that like Haim <laughs> did on like that Calvin Harris song and it was like kind of gratifying. Yes. Like I feel like this kind of fulfills that promise and there's something specifically queer about that. Like their mm-hmm. sort of freedom to like go full club banger on that record. Yeah. I agree. That was in contention for my album list too. And I think that that record is so good. And I definitely think knowing the audience of this podcast, if you have not listened to this record, you are going to absolutely love it. It's so good. My second is Crash by Charlie, which I went into bracing. Because I I love Charlie and I really hold, and I know you do too. And I, I hold Charlie in like a particular esteem as like one of the most important pop figures working today. And I definitely felt like we had reached a conclusion with the hyper pop experiment with how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. now, which I think is a fantastic album, really one of her strongest, but I didn't really enjoy the self-titled album she had put out before that. And I felt like we needed a pivot because she had become so known for that. I just didn't want her to get stuck there when that started to feel like a trend that had passed. And I felt like she had made four or five albums essentially that were like working in that style. And I felt like for an artist that's supposed to be paving the way, I was getting slightly anxious about her getting stuck in that realm. So then I heard good ones and I was like, oh shit, like she's really just making like a straight up pop song that she didn't even write herself. But I really was pleasantly surprised by this album. And I shouldn't have doubted her because she's such a consummate pop technician that she pulled off making a quote unquote like straight ahead pop song with like a trend that irritates me on some level, which is like two minute songs or two minute and 15 second songs. Like the whole record goes by in like 31 minutes. Mm -hmm. But she's so good at it. And she doesn't lose her edge. And I think all of the songs are good. And like, they all work for me pretty much. The entire record works well for me. And the the, the pure pop album or whatever you want to call it that I just returned to the most and just continually enjoy. And when it ends every single time because of its economical nature, I'm like ready to put it on again and again. (laughs) And I've never, I haven't grown tired of it. And I think that just speaks to what an incredible tactician she is. You struck me down like I guess maybe the conceit that she was trying to make a pop record ended up making it kind of fun for me because I was like, oh, this is her version of experimentation this time around is just like experimenting with the idea of making mainstream pop music. (laughs) So I'm curious if she's going to continue in that vein, but I just find it to be not my favorite Charlie album, but a very enjoyable and well done and pleasant and pleasurable surprise from her. Yeah, I mean, you know that I'm I'm an angel through and through. And similarly, like pop two for me is like, the gold standard and like taste i wouldn't expect anything less <laughs> yeah if i look at that collaborators list and there aren't 20 people that i don't know i'm not playing it <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah crash similarly was like i don't know yeah. whatever but it definitely grew on me yeah. and it's true it's just like she can't really do wrong yeah like she could make any kind of pop song she could be a guest on any kind of mainstream pop song and i will listen to it because she's just such a pro. Yeah. Her doing like Janet, 
-hmm. 80s dark moments of Depeche Mode on that album, Mm -hmm. like inspired by David Cronenberg's crash, sort of. It's just a very fun mode for her to be in. But yeah, it is interesting that that's her version of Mm -hmm. mainstream pop music because it it is still very weird but it's delightful and it doesn't sound like other mainstream pop of the moment that was something we talked about when we reviewed the album on the show i was like it's fascinating like this is a mainstream pop album either in 2014 maybe a little bit more or in like 1985 or something like that but like (laughs) she's not exactly making little nas x style music or something like you know she's not it's she not, should though yeah she could you know i think part of she what could. allowed me to embrace this into my heart was like which is usually good when you're trying to assess something is like just kind of accepting it on its own terms that really helped me like i was just kind of like all right so she's making two and a half minute slammers like that aren't sort of like adorned with all of these hyper pop bells and whistles or whatever else is going on here and that allowed me to really just accept it and as like i said it's like i'm just like these are all good songs Like, I remember them all. I'm happy to hear all of them when they come on. Even though, like, is there something sort of, like, maybe slightly eh, about listening to her just, like, make a very straight-ahead, like, sample of Show Me Love into, like, a two-minute, like, flip or, like, completely jack the chorus of the September song? Yeah, there's like something like a little bit like, oh, Charlie, like we've seen you do more than that. But when I just sort of like give myself over to it, I'm kind of like, who doesn't want to hear the chorus of September? Like, great choice. Like we know Charlie has. (laughs) So, all right. That's Crash. What's your third choice? My third is Motomami by Rosalia. Mm -hmm. I feel like this year it's like Renaissance number one, obviously. Bad Bunny record, huge. And then this is kind of like the third Mm. big record of the year. And like, I don't know, for me, it's like I loved her last album, El Malkar, which I think I'm butchering the pronunciation of. But there was such like a somber kind of coolness to that album. Mm -hmm. And this one is like, this bitch knows how to party. Oh, yeah. Similarly to Renaissance, like very thick with references and all kinds of production and genres, but like the way that she kind of commands every single song on that album, like La Combi Versace is like secretly, I think like the sexiest song of the year. Mm-hmm. Like it's just such a good song. She's a fucking star. Like, I think she deserves all of the accolades that she's getting. And like, that album is for how amazing it sounds production wise. It's also deeply personal. And like, there's a lot of moments on that album where she's kind of commenting on her stardom while also making a record that like really speaks to how big of a star that she is. And it's just like a solid, solid record. I think it's incredibly impressive. I mean, I just remember listening to it the first time and I was like, this person is like a real master at what she does. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, I do think it shares a lot in common with Renaissance, which is that, as you mentioned, it moves through a lot of styles, but like feels somehow cohesive. It's like a tumbler or something. Like (laughs) she's able to move through all these different modes and yet it like hangs together somehow as this idea. And 
It reminds me a little bit in sort of its freewheeling and globetrotting nature of early MIA albums, like mm. where I just felt like, okay, whoa, like we are going on like a ride through global pop styles with somebody that really knows how to take us there, like who knows how to yeah. like really knows her stuff and is like willing to do things that are like truly adventurous and like sound new to my ear. Like I have these really distinct memories of listening to Erilar and Kala and being like, no one's done this. Like, this is the first time no. I've heard something like this. And I had a similar feeling listening to Moto Mommy. I was like, this person is like something that is entirely her own thing. And she's able to like suck in all of these different influences and styles and like take you on this tour through all of these different styles of music. Well, as you said, seeming in utter command of all of them and without losing her humanity, like it doesn't feel like an art project. There's a song on there that's like a ballad that I almost could imagine like being a, the last song on a Lady Gaga album or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, like when Lady Gaga does her stadium yeah. She roofs through so many different things. And one thing I just find myself so curious about with Rosalia is like, I think she could be Dua Lipa if she wanted to. Like if she turned around tomorrow and was like, I want to make my version of Future Nostalgia, like yeah. she could do it and become like the biggest pop star in the world. I'm curious whether she's going to be like Bjork or she's going to be Dua Lipa. I feel like I could see it going either direction. It's a really, really good question. Because yeah. I do think she's kind of a weirdo. Yeah, Like I do think she's a weirdo. Yeah. And oh, I'm going to be thinking, this is, this is the thing that's going to keep me up because <laughs> you could see it i mean you see that yeah. live show i mean she is a pop star i mean you're just yes. like this girly is like knows how to give you like an arena spectacular she could she's doing it. donuts on the oh stage she's like yeah she, she is a fucking superstar and that album was amazing truly great pick my last pick and i think one thing that seems to be a trend in all the things we're talking about is like these records really do all have like aesthetic unification to them and like feel like albums and i think that that's mm -hmm. interesting that we've been able to identify a series of albums that fit this and this my last choice i think really works this way is the weekend's don fm and i've always been like a lukewarm on the weekend like i get it and like of course certain songs are amazing and i'm also like a max martin apologist to the end of time so when <laughs> they got together i was like this is amazing because what I've always wanted from The weekend is like someone to cut his dour, uber masculinity, sort of sleazy, coquetty vibe with like some shimmer, you know, like give it, mm -hmm. give it that yeah. shimmer. So all of my favorite weekend songs have always been the ones where he like stops trying to like go for like hip hop nodding tracks and like just kind of gives you shimmering 80s sleazy synth pop music. And I felt like on this album, he just like let himself do that for the whole album. Like he stopped trying to have to gesture towards contemporary hip hop sounds and just make a Depeche Mode sounding song, make Michael Jackson, Donna Summer, Africa Bombada. Like this is so what I need from the weekend. The sleaze mixed with the shimmer. I love how it's mixed together as like a continuous playlist, somewhat similar to the way that Renaissance is. And I just don't understand why Take My Breath was not a number one smash. I just think it's 
perfect. Like, what a great, amazing pop song. It's To me, that's as good as Blinding Lights is or any of his hits are with Max. Take my I also love the song Out of Time, which is kind of like a Michael Jackson human nature sort of nodding mid-tempo R&B song. I just really enjoyed this album and it was a big surprise to me because I don't care for the music of straight men like for the most part and like, (laughs) you know, especially not his particular brand, but this totally won me over. So that's my sort of like surprise of the year. It's, It's so ornate. It's so grand. It's exhilarating. And I love, as I said, the sleaze with the shimmer. That's what I need from the weekend. And when he gets too into like the dark dower hole, I'm like, I don't need to listen to straight men whining about shit. Like, it's just not, not for me. So that worked for me. I can't believe I'm saying that that's on my list, but <laughs> yeah, I was also going to say like, I feel like when I saw this on your list, like I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. And then I was thinking, I feel like it's been a really big year for like Giorgio Moroder yeah. biting sounds. Like we talked about Moon is what I yes, want. Totally. You know, you had two of Lowe's. If I'm saying her name right. Um, no, <laughs> no one dies from love. Yeah, right. Like you had the Donna Summer sample on the Beyonce record. Huge like point. there's been a lot of deep pulsing 80s mm. club, dark beats that remind me a lot of him. And like, I feel like there's a lot of those moments on Dawn FM. And 100%. that was the first of these albums to be out. A hundred percent. Kudos to the weekend. Kudos to the weekend. I mean, like, I guess there's no underselling the influence of I Feel Love. I, I almost feel like, is I Feel Love the most influential modern pop song? Like, possibly. <laughs> Any other honorable mentions you want to throw in the album category? Anything that you were sort of like tossing around or debating or that you feel like deserves to be just sort of pointed at? The only thing I'm going to point at, which is like a total wild card, Mm -hmm. is that I'm not a K-pop girly, Mm -hmm. but I pay attention to it. And there is an EP from this band called New Jeans. They're like a K-pop New Jeans and they make very Y2K inspired pop music. It's just like four simple songs. And I would just shout it out. check that out i haven't even heard of that i want to put a pin in two albums one is fk twigs's capper songs which Mm. i was not a magdalene apologist i just sometimes find her music like is something that i like admire from afar but don't enjoy listening to and i felt like somehow framing that as a mixtape or something that wasn't like a legit release from her like freed her up a little bit to like make yes. something a little bit more accessible and fun to listen to and i think she's incredibly talented and i like i really like her a lot and this was the album that i found the most enjoyable of hers that i've ever listened to and like i'd be interested to watch her continue to like push a little bit for towards that and like almost like loosen up a little bit in her approach to her music and the other one I want to put a pin in just because I can't not I for some reason this person like works for me is Charlie Puth's Charlie (laughs) I loved voice notes like I thought voice notes was a very very good album and 
I don't think his recent album, Charlie, is nearly as good, but I almost feel like he's the male Carly Rae Jepsen in his like fealty to the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus structure. Like it's all simple. He's got a really good ear for melody. And like a lot of those songs just really work for me, even though like I don't need the gay baiting. I don't need all of the other shit he's doing all day online. I have to tell you, like I would take Charlie Puth over like almost every other bigger male pop star working today. Charlie, be quiet, don't make a sound You got to lower the noise a little bit now If she knows you're in love She's gonna run, run away I don't think it's a great album, but I think it's a really good one. And I think maybe people should listen to it. I gotta listen to it. Okay. Let's move on to songs and you know, we can we can move fast. Let's talk about your first we both picked songs from Renaissance to uh, to <laughs> to nail that, which I know was hard. Why did you pick Alien Superstar? And then I'll talk about Heated for a second. I picked Alien Superstar because aliens are real. No, <laughs> I picked Alien Superstar. I picked Alien Superstar because to go back to a point I made earlier about people getting annoyed about breaking my souls nine to five labor discourse mm-hmm. and like it just feels like such a song for the listener and it also feels like when we were talking about renaissance making music fun or making yeah. pop music fun like that is just the most glamorous song mm-hmm. and like glamorous is not a quality i'm typically looking for right. in like pop music but just the idea of her like inhabiting this ballroom mc and like talking about feeding you diamonds and pearls it is such an incredible visual song without any visual attached to it and i just think the production on it is just incredible That chorus is just like completely addictive to me. And that is the song from that album that just really stays with me. Princely, I think on some level, if you want to say. Yeah. I agree with you. There's a lot of illustrative lyrical flourishes on that song that I, about glamour. Stilettos kicking vintage crystal <laughs> off the bar. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to fight with you on that. I mean, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to pick this. I pick Heated because... I've had a lot of fun moments in the club with that song and that last minute where she's just kind of like riffing as again as the ballroom MC is I would argue the most thrilling minute of her entire discography. I am dying to hear, because I know, I know they recorded probably minutes and minutes of her either riffing or someone wrote it for her. I don't know what it was. And like, I'd love to know like what the extended version of her just kind of like going nuts. I mean, the, the da, 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 like that yeah. whole part of it. And like, I mean, the sound of the slapping fans 
And I love that she made an explicitly queer song over kind of like an Afro beady kind of like almost dance hall style song. Mm -hmm. Like she was able to take elements of queer music and put them in context that you don't normally hear them. Of course, it's fun to hear Pure Honey, which is like a, you know, snappy snap 90s house song where you're used to hearing gayness represented. But there's something fascinating about one of the queerest moments on the album coming in the midst of this sort of sweaty dance hall song. And for that reason, it really seduces me. And also that last minute, I could listen to that a million, million times over. And it is so fun to be in a room, a a club with other queer people and hear the way that that moment connects. (laughs) is like, it's one of those spine tingling moments in the club, which I really appreciate. So what's your, uh, what's your second? My second is, I know we talked about them before, but What I Want by Muna, which was like the last single from that album that they put out, which is crazy Mm -hmm. because that is clearly the biggest song on that album. Mm -hmm. And it is just like a sucker punch. Like it it is is just huge. It's just this massive synth pop song. And it's just about the feeling of wanting, Mm -hmm. wanting something so bad Mm -hmm. that you're shaking for it. Every time I put on that song, I'm just like, this is so incredible. And the song is almost bigger than that band. Mm, Like, I totally, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they pull it off beautifully. And yeah. A lot of great, like, tension and release in that song, for sure. Yes. Um, (laughs) My second choice is Flo's Cardboard Box, which was like another kind of great surprise of the year. I. I'm, of course, as I'm sure you are too, grew up in the TRL era and was very much here for the sort of like 3LW sort of like, you know, (laughs) pseudo Destiny's Child girl group wave. And this song nods very specifically at that. Like it nods very specifically at no more baby, I'm gonna do it right. And it does it so effectively that I almost feel like, is this a lost song from that era? Written by M-N-E-K. I never know whether I'm saying his name right. He's just a really great British pop star in his own right, but also a, a songwriter and producer. And it just captures the essence of that early 2000s pseudo Destiny's Child guitar and stuttering beat Shakespeare kiss off girl group song and has a really light touch, which I really like too. It's not bombastic necessarily, it's fluttery. And I really appreciated that they were able to nail that vibe so effectively. It's such a good song. Love yeah, I'm song. just, I love any song that's like, take your things yes, and go. Exactly, casually to the <laughs> left, go. to the left. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, Bye. so what do you got next? Don't forget <laughs> by the Laura Palmer of pop. Someone had to say Sky it, Ferreira. Because I think she forgot. <laughs> I know when you when you sent the email earlier about like disappointments of the year yeah. I was going to be like the fact that we don't have her album. <laughs> uh she set herself up with that song title, I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been almost a decade since Nighttime My Time. I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. And she comes out with this song, Don't Forget. It sounds like she's never left. Like it's the same exactly. like <laughs> 80s, dark, Susie and the Banshees, mm-hmm. like pop, goth, rock song. Don't forget. Oh, no, I won't forget. I don't forget. 
she's like truth coming out of her well. Like she's just like sneering and talking about how the world is bad. And I'm like, you're fucking right, Sky. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can go back into your cave if you want. But yeah, there's just, I just think it's such an incredible song. I know some people were disappointed by the fact, I think by people, I mean pitchfork.com. I don't know. Some, some critics were disappointed that the song just sounded sort of like what she's always done. Yeah. But for me, there's something beautifully eerie about mm. the fact that she was like, I'm back and my music hasn't changed and I'm still mad. Yeah, <laughs> and like I, I'm still mad at the world and I don't know I just loved it I think I had a similar reaction to Pitchfork when I first heard it where I was like oh okay so this is just like a pseudo nighttime my time song 10 mm-hmm. years on or whatever seven years on how long's been nine years god it's like <laughs> and I fucking loved nighttime my time I mean as I know we all did yes. I mean I still go back to that album all the time and I'm just like my god I mean I blame myself as like one of my all-time favorite songs. Ugh, yeah. 24 hours, my God. But when I went back to it in the last couple of days since I knew you were putting it on your list, it's great. I mean, I agree with you. It's just a gr- really great Sky Ferreira song. And like, you kind of have two choices after you disappear that long. It's like, you're either going to go radically in another direction or you're just kind of like going to throw out something that's familiar. And she went that direction. And I yeah. mean, hopefully we do get something eventually beyond that song. It seems very I dicey with <laughs> I don't know. My third is Glorilla's FNF, which really snuck up on me. I mean, it was one of those songs where it's like, the first time I heard it, I was like, is this the most joyous song I've ever heard in my entire life? Like that song is just pure and utter delight, fun, summer anthem. And she is just such an original, like the minute you hear the tone of her voice and the cadence of her rapping, you're just like, who is this girl? Like she is, you know what I mean? And I just love the whole hanging out the window with my ratchet ass friends ethos of the song. And what I love about it is it's about hanging with your friends and like, it's about breaking up with a guy and like just having a fucking good time with your friends. And like, who doesn't love a pop song like that? And it is so mother fucking catchy it's like you put that song on and you memorize the chorus in like the first two times that you listen to it it's simple there's nothing like much to say about it it's got like a beat like a tay keith-esque beat to it and it's like very spare and simple it's her ebullience and her attitude that like just makes it an utter blast and like there's not much more to say about it than that except that like i think she's the fucking superstar and i love that song so much yeah she just perfectly captures the feeling of like breaking up with someone yeah. and being like i'm so fucking happy that i'm single <laughs> I'm just going to hang out with my friends. And like, it's not a song. It's not like Cardboard Box where it's like, fuck you. No. It kind of is like, fuck you. But it's more about like, I'm over here. It's a celebration more than a fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's that's what's so interesting. It's interesting to contrast it with Cardboard Box. Because Cardboard Box has that classic sort of R&B, like there's pain beneath the kiss off. Like there's like, it's the 
classic say my name's pathos mm-hmm. beneath the sort of veneer of fuck you. But like this song is more just like bye. Like you know yeah, what I mean? Like, like I'm so glad that's yeah. over. I'm and, single and, and I'm so happy. <laughs> exactly. Like no song yeah. made me want to put the windows down and just like go hard. You know what I mean? Like with my friends. And I just love yeah. it's just pure burst of joy. So can't get better than that. What's your next? My next is a deluxe song <laughs> off of Charlie XCX's Crash. Yeah. I am the world's number one fan of the song. It's called I'm Sorry If I Hurt You. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be the title of the album, mm. but then she changed it. It just sounds like Charlie doing a No Order song. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds like True Faith. It's just like a great breakup song. And I just think that it's one of the more toned down songs on that album. Like it's not a big pop ballad. Right. But it just goes really, really hard for me. Like oh. I just think it's a beautiful song and it's actually kind of vulnerable and naked mm. for her considering all of the like 80s pop cosplay that she's doing on that record and yeah i just love that song more in the vein of like maybe how i'm feeling now which was like like not in terms of how it sounds but in terms yes. of kind of like the rawness because i always found that to be one of her more exposing albums and oh, totally. crash is not really like that necessarily but i agree with you and i think new order is another interesting thing to put a pin in that runs through a lot of these songs new order is definitely there on the weekend's album muna's yeah. album for sure i hear new order yeah. all the time so that's georgio i guess in the same sort of vein as the georgio callbacks new order is another thing that feels like it's in the ether this year a little bit i agree with you i yeah. i love that song too i mean such a charlie move that like even the bonus tracks are good and worth listening to <laughs> like always speaks to her <laughs> consistency i'm gonna go with number three we've already talked about him it's my guy charlie Puth. again he has just like a knack for like a very simple and enjoyable pop hook and like his songs are really well made and like super bright and super crisp And I just found myself returning to this song and there's this iconic moment in the course. It's like the pen click on blank space where he goes, (laughs) you turn me on like a light switch. And then the music drops out and there's the sound of a light switch clicking. (laughs) You turn me on like a light switch when you're moving your body around and around. Now I don't want to fight this. You know how to just make me want you turn me. It's like, I wish I could get over Charlie Puth. He's like an evil force in my life. Like, I get that. I was going to say, I didn't know you were such a Charlie I'm a Puther. Puth. I, can't, I don't know what. I literally, my friend Steven took me to like the album release party for this album, like at like some small thing in Hollywood. And I was just like, God, he's so annoying. But like, at the same time, I'm so incredibly like, I'm just a fan. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I loved <laughs> voice notes. Like, I thought it was so good. So this is my deep shame. But, you know, the only way to deal with shame is to put it out into the world and be honest about it. And that's what I'm doing here with my Poother-isms. Like, I love Charlie Puth. I'm, I want the world to know. Like, I just, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm here for the Charlie Puth thing. And I think this is one of his best songs in my personal opinion so there you go hazel <laughs> i'm proud of you thank you for bearing witness to my to not my sure career. i'm there with you but i am proud of you <laughs> give it another spin look at it through my eyes see if you can find the okay. beauty in charlie <laughs> okay 
All right. What's your last in your list? My last is the song Happy New Year by Mm -hmm. the UK weirdo duo Let's Eat Grandma. Yes. They are, for people who don't know, they're like this English pop duo of childhood best friends, Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollander. And this song, it really articulates like a, I think kind of a rare sentiment in pop music, which is just like growing older and growing apart from a friend. Mm. And in this case, it's like your friend is your musical partner. And it's this really beautiful, big synth pop song and it kind of there's like a fireworks display at the end of it and it's really like a beautiful testament to like their friendship and it's kind of a sad pop song but yeah I just think it's it's like one of the best of the year it's off their album two ribbons and is definitely a standout I had never heard it until I saw it on your list and I was listening to it this morning and I was like, A, this is right up my alley. I'm so glad I have the song in my life. And B, I completely agree. It's almost like the inverse of the Glorilla song. It's it's like a, yeah. it's like it's another song about friendship, but about kind of like the coming apart of a friendship, which again, as you said, is not a common thing. Like when I was first listening to this, I was like, oh, it's a breakup song. Of course, it's like a, it's a Robin mm-hmm. song. It's giving me that sort of vibe. And then I went back and read the lyrics and I was like, oh no, this is actually a song about friendship and like the sort of like complicated nature of an evolving best friendship mm-hmm. and like that's such a unique guise for a pop song I, I really loved it and again you know what it gave me uh, a little bit like Tegan and some of those great Tegan and Sarah Greg Kirsten yeah songs. like closer yes. yeah and a little bit yeah. churches like I, I don't know it, yeah it's great I'm so happy that you you put me onto that song I really enjoyed it a lot my fifth song of the year is a double header, and it's for good reason, okay? I know I sli- I broke the rules. I broke my own rules, okay? But I needed to do it, all right? And it's both Surrender My Heart and Western Wind from Carly Rae Jepsen's recent album, which I don't think is a great album. And I've come around on this idea that, like, emotion was a fluke. And I it's been a hard truth for me to accept as someone who, like, loves Carly Rae. But, like, she had on something really special with that record, and it yeah. was such a huge thing. And then I feel like since then I don't get what she's doing totally like she when she stumbles into a good song it's really good but like I thought dedication was really disappointing and I just have felt like she's never really been able to land on something that sort of like builds on anything that she did on emotion or like gives you something new it just feels like she's made a hundred emotion-esque songs over and over again that like don't really feel like they're advancing the narrative in any way that makes me feel like interested in her as an artist beyond just like a song or here hitting for me and I think we're still here unfortunately with her most recent album The Loneliest Time like I still am like what are we doing exactly like whatever but the reason I picked these two songs is because one I think Surrender My Heart, which is the opening song on the album, is one of her best iterations of the emotion formula for the 3000th time that we've had since emotion. It's just a really fucking good emotion song. And I love emotion so much that I was just kind of like, hard for me to say no to a great emotion song. And that's what I find Surrender My Heart to be, just like a blaring 80s synth pop, open-hearted. It's classic Carly in that it is 100% about her favorite topic, the moment when you decide to just fall head over heels in love with someone. That's like the Carly Ray ethos and it just does that very very well so I'm powerless against that so- 
But I also pick Western Wind because it's a different sounding song for Carly. And it really grew up. When I first heard it, I was like, whatever. It really grew on me over time. I find Carly doing solar power more intriguing to me than Lord doing solar power. And I like the kind of folky vibe of the whole thing. And I found myself wishing as time has gone on for an entire Carly album that had worked more or needled more at that idea. Like what would it sound like for Carly to make an album that sounded more like Western Wind and less like emotion for the 9,000th time? which this album feels betwixt and between to me. So it's like, I like both of these songs because one, I feel like is a great iteration on something we've seen her do a million times before and whatever, I'm not going to say no to it. But the other, I'm hoping she's able to sort of find a way to get out of the sort of emotion long tail. And I thought Western Wind really grew on me and stuck with me over the last six months. And I've grown to like it more and more. And I'm hopeful that Carly can find a way out of emotion and (laughs) and that's not the feeling just the aesthetic and um, (laughs) and so that's why that's my fifth dual choice so last thing before we get out of here were there any like massive disappointments for you on the pop front like what didn't work what were you excited about or that you felt like under delivered this year well Carly, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. not to continue that thread too much, yeah. but like, I didn't love Western Wind. Mm-hmm. It just kind of remind. I do agree that like her doing Solar Power is more interesting than whatever Lord yeah. was trying to do there. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like that album just didn't really come together for me. Yeah. Like, there just that run of songs, like Joshua Tree to the Bends, yeah. just felt very sleepy. And like, I think you're right that she was maybe caught between two different sounds and really couldn't commit to one. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the singles were off, yeah. and I. I just like her when she's at her most intense mm. and fantastic and it doesn't have to be music that sounds like now that I found you or, yeah. or when I needed you, but just at least that kind of passion. Mm. Um, and so that kind of to me was like the number one disappointment, I feel like. Mm, interesting. So you weren't disappointed by Midnight's because that's my number <laughs> yeah, one disappointment. We should talk about it. I mean. Yeah. So uh, Midnight's was like, I had kind of predicted that Taylor was going to go pop right. after Folklore and Evermore. Yeah. But I was like, she's not going to go like love or pop. She's going to do something like her song Clean uh-huh. from 1989 uh-huh. with Imogen Heap, uh-huh. which she sort of did. Mm. But... There are a lot of songs on Midnight's that I genuinely like. Mm-hmm. Like, I like You're On Your Own Kid, mm-hmm. and I, I think Antihero is the best song yeah. on that album to me. I, I think that that's a um, fair statement. But I do think it's interesting that, like, for an album that's her looking back on her different eras, she really sort of stays in one kind of sound. Yeah. I don't love Jack Antonoff, but maybe I do. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I like that sound. <laughs> that, that sums it up, actually. <laughs> that exact duality, I feel like, is how so many of us feel. <laughs> I'm just like, if you liked Dress off of Reputation, (laughs) if you liked Cornelia Street Mm. off of Lover, I'm that girl. I'm that girl. So am I, I, though. (laughs) But I just feel like Midnight's is like, okay, we're going to work in that vein for 13 songs. And I just, it just feels a lot. Most of which are not as good as Cornelia Street or Dress, like, or Antihero. So... It's yes. like, look, we did an episode on this, so I don't want to like to spend hours on it, but <laughs> I'm so intrigued in the worst way 
how backwards looking the aesthetics of this album are. I don't yeah. get it. It's like, I said this on the episode and I continue to feel it more and more. I'm like, every Taylor Swift album was so well executed in terms of advancing the Taylor Swift narrative into the next space. Yes. Like everything felt yeah. like a plot point where like the story was moving forward. And I didn't love Evermore, but whatever. I no. got what, what was happening, whatever. She's like doing a double album or whatever. That's a B-sides. I don't even know how to classify it. But like, I was so here for every evolution because I felt like she so cannily executed that like through the whole discography and this is the first time where I'm like wait so now we're just like back to 2019 we're like back like why are we doing that it's murky and not vivid in the way that I tend to like like my Taylor Swift songs and I don't know I just feel like on a song for song basis it's like I expect so much from her like I just expect the songs to just work like she makes them all work like for so many albums I was like she won me over no matter how I was confused by the lead single and I hated it or whatever it was like by the time mm -hmm. I got the 19 songs on Lover or whatever the fuck I was like yeah 15 of these are fucking heat rocks like I don't know what to tell you like they're all good and like it's not working for me like every time I go back to this I'm just like why I don't get what we're doing here what is this adding here what are we like what, how is this advancing what I care about or like about Taylor Swift an artist that takes making music really fucking seriously I just I don't I don't get it it's just not working for me I I love anti-hero too I mean there's there's certain moments on it that are good but it's just like it's not clicking. yeah it's almost like the album to me feels like I'm witnessing a kind of like I was gonna say exorcism but that gives too much yeah power to right. what she's doing like i just i totally agree that like she has been working in that very quintessential pop mode of like this is my era this yeah. is my reputation era yeah. this is my lover era yeah. this is my folklore era yeah. whatever like okay i'm on it whatever and then this was just like she really kind of set herself up in the most perfect way to avoid i think her next step uh, yes 100%. She's like, I'm just going to go look at the past. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. But what is next? Yeah. Like a song like Antihero, I think genuinely builds on Taylor Swift's work. Mm -hmm. Like I think that there is an anxiety in that song mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like her typical self-victimization <laughs> shtick. Like yeah. it feels a little yeah. more like, oh, you know that you're the problem? Yeah. Like maybe actually. <laughs> and I like that. I, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I wanted from Reputation, mm -hmm. but she had all these like veils mm -hmm. or she had her veil on. It's me. So I'm like, okay, this album is doing something for her personally. It's a stepping stone to whatever is gonna come next. She's getting some things out of her system. Yeah. She's like working with her bestie yeah. and like doing some stuff there. But as for what it does for the pop world outside of it, it's like nothing. nothing. Like it feels so like- Neither here nor there. This is for her. Yeah. This is her thing and like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to witness because like I do, there are songs in that where I'm like, I do like mm -hmm. and I do like the production on it. Mm -hmm. I recognize that it's not, it's not really doing anything yeah. for her at large. I think those are all fair points. And like, you know, we said this on the show and I, 
I continue to wonder if there's a negative effect of re-recording all of your old music and being that being a central focus of your life. Like, if you're an artist that's supposed to be sort of evolving, like, what is it yeah. doing that you're spending your days like re-recording songs that you wrote when you were 16, 17, That's 20, fascinating. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like, I wonder how that's affecting her. The other thing I want to throw out there, and I mean, this is an artist, I wouldn't call this disappointing because I sheerly don't understand this artist or the cult around them at all, is Harry Styles. I don't understand... Oh. Don't get it. I don't. I find Same. him unremarkable. I've never really. I think the music is like, like dresses itself up as important and is just like very mid. And like, I don't yes. understand it. I don't get it. I was hoping maybe you did, but maybe you don't either. No, I really don't. This is very rude, but I just keep waiting for him to like reveal himself yeah. as a person uh-huh. to me. 100%. And I do. I think it's all flash. Like, I just think it's all set dressing. And I just, I hear that music and I'm like, it just feels like there's no person behind it. I agree. And I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't actually like the music That's itself. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's like, it would be one thing. And the songs thing. aren't there. That's the other thing. It's like, it, it, I think what you were, sorry, I didn't mean to take the words out of your mouth, but no, I no, no, like no. I agree I with you we're on you the same the page. that it's like, <laughs> if, there were, if the songs were great, it'd be like, fine, be a shallow, like Gucci bobble. And like, we'll just get into like your great music. <laughs> but I'm just kind of like, the songs aren't that good. It's one of the moments in pop culture that like disturbs me about modern society which is like (laughs) the way that like people get on like a bandwagon about the idea of something or like it really sold on the veneer or like the karaoke nature of something and they like just decide that it's good and everybody just decides that without having like a critical eye on like whether it actually is worthwhile like I just think he did the right job of dressing this the right way like he's an artist of credibility this music is gesturing at rock music in a way that like people tend to think like means that it has more heft to it than it actually does but it's such a house of cards like there's nothing there it's just it's karaoke credibility i don't even know what it is it's it's so it's like disturbing watching these 20 nights of shows at madison square garden i'm like what am i missing i don't get this at all i don't get it i mean he's hot no, i guess uh, that i get no is he ah! um <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I just, I think that's the most offensive thing to me is gesturing towards glam rock, gesturing yeah. towards Bowie, right. gesturing towards, honestly, the stuff that I feel like someone like Steve Lacey is doing uh-huh. or someone like Eve Stumer is doing, yeah. like artists who are actually making like gender bending, interesting yeah. rock and like playing with hardness and softness and masculinity and like, and then just not following through. And I just hope that as a culture, we can get to a place where we can critique someone like Harry Styles and not have to worry about someone coming out of the woodwork and being like, but young women like him. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's not there. It's It's not not there. there. It's not there. And I feel incredibly like validated that you feel that way too, because I sometimes (laughs) feel like I'm lost in the woods with it. Like, I feel like I'm like, he's not on the train. I'm going to throw one more out there. I know we've been on here forever, but I just, I just have to throw (laughs) another one out there that like, again, I don't know if this can qualify as a disappointment so much as just something that drives me crazy and I don't understand is Lizzo. I don't. Oh. uh, Whereas Harry's album, I'm kind of like, this is pleasant nothingness. I'll never listen to it again. I find Lizzo's music aggressively horrible and I don't understand. Yeah. It's I find it like almost infuriating to listen to like the Twitter sloganeering, the like empty self-help platitudes, the entire thing is utterly synthetic and surface level and I don't find her on record persona appealing at all. I don't think the songs are that great. Like I don't understand it. Like I think she as a person in the landscape is meaningful and great and I'm glad that she exists. Like I'm so happy that Lizzo 
is a mainstream type of pop star that we very rarely have seen represented physically in this space. And like the fact that she makes that a centerpiece of her artistry and who she is is a good thing for society. And I'm glad that that's there. As for the rest of it, like I do not understand. It just doesn't work for me at any level. No, she to me is charming as a person. Mm -hmm. Like I saw her perform on SNL, like right at the beginning of the album cycle, she performed about damn time. And I was like, this is good. Like she's a good performer. This is fun. But yeah, I just think there's just sort of similarly to Harry, there's just something missing Mm -hmm. there. And I also think not to go back to Renaissance again, but like when you're working in retro vintage sounds, like if you're doing disco, it's like sexy music, Mm -hmm. music to dance to. Mm -hmm. Like I want you to bring that. 100% to it and what we end up getting is like something that I feel like I would hear playing in Target when I'm like shopping it's dub commercial pop music and like for someone that's making her sort of like outside of the box or whatever you want to call it the centerpiece of what her stardom and music churns on she doesn't reveal anything that's actually healing or like interesting about that journey like it's all platitudes it's all surface it's all like look in the mirror and I'm like yeah bitch you know it's like what what is the point of that yeah it's it's yes queen music it's empty (laughs) I don't think she actually does anything revelatory in a way that is like Harry I think that is similar like they're both sort of like gesturing at something and like people buy the gesture without there being anything beneath the gesture. And similarly, it's like, for the most part, the songs are just not there. Like, the songs are not that good. So, I don't know. That's another thing I just had to, like, throw out there at you because I I, I just... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) ah, I'm trying to think, like, what is a... What's a good way for us to send this out? Usually I'd ask you, like, what's your favorite Lizzo song to send the podcast out on? But I feel like that's <laughs> a futile exercise. We could say what our favorite song that we're excited to hear Rihanna perform at the Super Bowl. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do that. What's your favorite song that you're excited to hear Rihanna play at the Super Bowl? <laughs> the most exciting music moment in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I love all the memes about her revealing her on the Super Bowl stage with, like, Fenty beauty products behind her. <laughs> I love that um, this is like our random choice to send the podcast out. I'm living. Let's go. It's I, certainly I, not I lift kinda... me up. Let me tell you. Talk about disappointments oh. of the year. That's maybe our window into this. One of the great Doesn't disappointments count. of the year. <laughs> lift me up. Rihanna's comeback single. Let's try to remember better times. Let's talk about what we actually want to hear her perform. I'm kind of excited to hear, because I assume it's going to be like a medley of everything. I'm kind of excited to hear like her voice now with very early, early, like palm de replay. Okay. Like that, I think, is what I'm excited for. All right. I like that. Let's send the episode (laughs) about 2022 in pop out on Rihanna's Pwn the Replay from 2006. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I love it. This was so much fun, Hazel. I had a great time talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, hopefully you'll be back on the show sometime soon. Here's Pwn the Replay. Adios. (laughs)